Brotherhood. It's good to be with you guys today. Um, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you brought one, to the book of Matthew chapter 7. And if you don't have a copy of the scripture, that's fine. I'm going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen, and so you can follow along with me. <clears throat> if you, uh, this is your first time or you haven't been here <clears throat> for a while, we have been going through a series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And we're looking at some of the more difficult or more challenging things that Jesus said during his earthly ministry and his time here on earth. Because we have, I think a lot of us have a vision of him in our, in our minds that he was this kind of guy that floated around and was just always saying all these really super, you know, encouraging things to people. And, and Jesus was always kind and was always um, and is in fact encouraging in his character and nature. But a lot of times what he would say would be incredibly uncomfortable to the people that are hearing him. And the reason he did that in order to draw them to repentance and draw them back to the Lord. And so we've been looking specifically at some of these more difficult things that he talked about. Um, <clears throat> several weeks ago, Tyler David, one of our preachers, talked about how Jesus had all these people following him. He had thousands of people following him. It was at the height <coughs> of his popularity here on earth. And the reason they were following him is because he was feeding them. He'd fed the 5,000 with the fish and the loaves. He was healing people, which was a big deal back then. And so he was really popular. And in the midst and the height of his popularity, he turns to the crowd and said, unless you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And basically what that means when he said it is, look, you can't follow me for all the stuff I'm doing for you. You've got to follow me for who I am as a person. And so most of the crowd took off. <clears throat> a couple or the week later, <clears throat> Aaron Ivey taught on, very, very difficult thing, not so much for us to hear, but for us to do. Jesus said, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life. Jesus talked about how us worrying, us being anxious, literally adds no time whatsoever to the span of our life. And we're to trust in the Lord. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Last week, um, I taught on probably one of the hardest statements Jesus said, especially for American Christians. He said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but rather store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. <clears throat> and I talked about how wealth and material possession in and of themselves are not necessarily evil, but if we utilize that wealth and that material possession for us and not for the kingdom of God, that's when we've stored up for ourselves treasure on earth. And today <clears throat> it, it brings us to what is, in my opinion, Maybe the hardest thing Jesus said in his earthly ministry. Maybe the most difficult, the most challenging. And what makes it so hard <coughs> is the fact that it's just flat out scary. <clears throat> it's, it's a haunting verse. Um, because what Jesus is going to say is this, is that there are going to be many people on Judgment Day. This is in the context of Judgment Day. I'll talk more about that in a second. But it's on Judgment Day that there are going to be many people that call him Lord, that call him Lord. And that have done things for him in his name in the course of their life, but will not go to heaven when they die. And then he says, why? Let me read this to you. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. And he said, not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. <clears throat> Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And people that call him Lord, people that do things for him in his name, and he will look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And I want to tell you a story that kind of illustrates kind of think what Jesus is talking about here when he says to these people, I don't know you, I never knew you. I want to tell you a story about how I met my wife, Jennifer. Um, For those of you that have been around the stone for for several years, for a long time, you've probably heard me tell this story before. But I met my wife, or rather I saw my wife the first time when I was a sophomore at Texas A&M. I was was in the core, yeah, whoop, I was in the core at A&M, and it was the first day of class, the first time I ever saw Jennifer. And I was in my core uniform, and I had just kind of started walking with Jesus. And so I, 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 was, I was doing what every uh, red-blooded American male does on the very first day of class, is you go in and you see if there's any good-looking girls in the room. And so I walked in. This was a big class. I think it was History 10-something. And it was about 300 people in there. And I walked down about halfway, and I went and sat in the middle. <coughs> and I'm just kind of scoping things out, kind of looking around. And I look up, and I see this girl. And she's up at the top of the class. And she was all tan from summer, and her hair, I remember this, her hair was wet. I think she'd probably just taken a shower or something because it was an 8 o'clock class. And this is what went through my brain. I was like, man, there are some fine women at Texas A&M University. Because see, and you, for you young folks in here, millennials, we, back in the 90s, that's what you called girls, were fine. They were fine back in the 90s, if you didn't know that. And now they're hot or something, I don't know, but back then they were fine. And I was like, there are some fine women at Texas A&M University. Now, I was sitting there getting ready for the class to start and um, being the good Christian young man that I, that I was and, and am, or not young anymore, but I was then. But anyway, I was like, you're not supposed to look twice, right? You can see a girl, you think she's pretty, but you're not supposed to look twice. That's lust. And I was like, ah, I got to turn around one more time. <coughs> and so I turn around and I notice, I'm like, not only is this girl fine, but she was wearing a Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt. And I was like, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, praise God, there are some fine, godly women at Texas A&M University. Now, I was dating this other girl at the time when this happened. <laughs> I was. And, um, <laughs> and a few weeks later, Jen always gets mad at me because I get the timeline wrong, but it was, it was a little bit short time later, this girl broke up with me. And, and I, I was heartbroken because I thought I was actually going to marry this girl. She was a great, godly girl. <clears throat> love Jesus, and, um, but she came up to me one day and said, God told me to break up with you. And that's really hard to argue with. When a girl says, God told me to break up with you, girls are like, I'm taking notes on that. I'm going to use that. But I couldn't really argue with her, and it broke my heart And because uh, I thought I was going to marry her. And that night, I was in my dorm room. True story. I was on my knees. I was in the middle of the dorm room, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, I am done with women for the rest of my life. You know, I'm, I'm tired of being hurt. This is ridiculous. So I was like, God, it's just going to be you and me for the rest of my life. I don't need girls. I don't need women. I don't need to get married. I don't need none of that. I'm just going to serve you, God, the rest of my life, you and me. That's, that's it. I'm good, Lord. And so the next day, I walk into History 101, and I'm walking about halfway down um, the, the, the hallway there, or rather the, the walkway to get to the seat, and I look over to my right, and there was that girl that I saw the first day of class. And at that point, I'm in a dilemma, right? Because <clears throat> I just prayed the night before. <clears throat> so I had a decision to make. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this girl, nobody's sitting by her. 
And so what I do is I look at her and I realize there's nobody sitting by her. And then I look up at God. And then I look back down at the girl. And then I look back up at God. I was like, I'm sorry, God. And I went and I was like, <coughs> I went and sat by this girl and I started talking to her. And like, I, you know, and, and we introduced ourselves, and, and I told her my story about getting broken up with. I didn't tell her the part about praying, you know, or anything, but I told her my story and we just connected really, really quickly. And it was over the course of that day and, and, the, and the days to come that I began to know things about her life. <coughs> I began to know her name. I, I knew, you know, what town she was from. I learned what major she had. I, I learned, you know, um, just some of the, some of the facts about her life. But see, at that point, even though I was learning things about her, I was not yet in a relationship with her. And as the days went by and the weeks went by, we began not just to know the facts about each other's life, but I began to know her as a person. Began to kind of enter into a relationship with this girl. I I learned about her hopes, I learned about her dreams, I learned about her fears, I learned about um, what made her up as a person, and as the relationship progressed, I began to know more about her, and eventually, you know, it went to a whole nother level. This is the girl that, that I married. Um, she's sitting there on the, on the front row here uh, today, and together, over the 20 years now, we'll be married 20 years in August, over, over the 20 years that we've been together, we've gone through unbelievable lows and unbelievable highs. We, we've had children together and raised them together. We've, <coughs> we've walked through cancer together. We, we planted this church together. We've, we've fought a hundred times. We've, we've laughed thousands of times. And, and here's the thing, every single day of, of our life together, our relationship grows and it deepens. And, and there's, there's not a single human being on this earth that knows me more than Jennifer Carter. And there's not a single human being on the earth that knows her more than I do. And, you, and I look back at our 20 years together now and, and there is just such a monumental distance and difference between the day that I just knew the facts about her life and today where I deeply know this woman that I have been in a relationship now for a really, really long time. And one of the things that, that I think is probably one of my greatest fears for you, the church, and especially those of you that have grown up in church. Um, I don't worry so much what I'm about to say for folks that had some sort of radical conversion later in life where God really just kind of snatches them out of the fire later on in life and then this radical Damascus Road kind of thing where God knocks them over. I don't worry so much about folks that got saved later in life, but I do worry about folks that have maybe grown up in church. This is maybe my greatest fear for you is that you know a lot about Jesus. You know a lot about his life. You know a lot of facts about Jesus, but at the end of the day, you don't really know Jesus. My fear is that for many of us, you know a lot of the facts about what he did, but there's never been a point in time where you've bridged that gap and you've actually entered into a relationship with him that results in deep knowing. 
And here's what I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. <coughs> there is an eternal difference, an eternal difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's an eternal difference between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. All right, and let me just jump back into the text here and let's, let's show you, let's look deeply, quickly here at, at what he's saying. In the context of this, by the way, is Judgment Day. This is like a, a future thing that Jesus is talking about. It's a real event that Jesus is kind of saying, hey, this is going to happen. Um, we know that in Matthew, he, he tells us that he separates the sheep from the goats, the, the people that are truly his children and those who really aren't. And, and so just know that you're in this scene that Jesus is talking about. You're there. He may not be talking about you here, but you're in this scene. And so understand that. This is Judgment Day. And then in Matthew 7, 21, <coughs> Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that just right there is a, is a tremendously haunting verse. He says, There are going to be people, church, there that call him Lord. Say, so You're Lord. Yet they are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So not everybody who's, who calls him Lord is going to go to heaven. There's a question, well, who is going to heaven? He says it. He says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not necessarily a person who's, who, who comes out of his mouth that Jesus is Lord that's going to go to heaven. What Jesus says is it's a person whose life reflects that he is Lord are the ones that are going to heaven. <clears> this <throat> is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And then in verse 22, it gets even more kind of haunting. Um, look at verse 22. <clears throat> he says, many will say to me on that day. And that's crazy because he's not talking about because you would think maybe there's just a handful of people that, are, that would actually call Jesus Lord, but then wouldn't go to heaven because their life didn't reflect that. And he goes, no, actually many people are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And then watch what he says next. <clears throat> they call him Lord, Lord, and they say, did we not prophesy in your name? So these are people that call him Lord, and then they, they're, they're preaching in his name. In his name. And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. That's a scary verse. Jesus is saying there are people that not only call him Lord, but they're actually doing stuff, doing Christian stuff for God in the name of Christ that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> it's kind of like the modern day equivalent of saying, God, did I not go to church in your name? God, did I, God, I was in a missional community group. I was in, I was in, I was in a small group in your name. Lord, I went to a, a short-term mission trip in your name. Lord, I, I served at a nonprofit in your name. Lord, I gave money to a church in your name. Lord, I went to this amazing Christian conference in your name. And then verse 23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Scariest verse in the Bible, in my opinion. People that call him Lord do things in his name and they will not go to heaven. And he says, here's why, because I don't know you. In other words, you did all that stuff, but I was never in a relationship. 
with you. And um, <clears throat> there's an eternal difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. <clears throat> I want to tell you a story um, about how that can happen. Because something happened in my life when I was preparing for this sermon. <clears throat> and I, and I, I preached this before, but when I first prepared this sermon, I, I, there was an incident in my life that, that shows really well how it's entirely possible for this to happen. And, um, and I want to tell you a story about Nolan Ryan. Um, y'all know who Nolan Ryan is? Four of you, y'all are young. Nolan Ryan was one of the <clears throat> greatest pitchers, baseball pitchers in history. He played until he was 46 years old, which is old. And, he, and he's an old dude. <clears throat> but he was one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Um, most no-hitters, I think, in history. I think, I think he had the most strikeouts. I've lost track of if anybody's beat him since then. But the point is, when I was growing up, I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan, massive it was like the one guy that if, if he was pitching, my mom would let me stay up late and watch him. I love Nolan Ryan. And he became, I, I kind of took my, my fandom of him to another level on uh, August the 4th, 1993. Does anybody know what happened on August the 4th, 1993? August the 4th, 1993 is when Nolan Ryan got in a fist fight on the mound with a guy named Robin Ventura. And um, so you're like, old man right down there said, yo, yeah, he knows where I'm going with this. <coughs> and... Um, so Robin Ventura was 26 years old, set the stage here. Nolan Ryan was 46 at the time this happened. He was in his last season. And Nolan Ryan's pitch, and Robin Ventura was a young, up-and-coming guy, three-time gold glove uh, guy at that time, played for the White Sox. <coughs> and Nolan Ryan is pitching to him, and Nolan throws the ball and hits Robin Ventura, 26-year-old Robin Ventura, with the ball. Now, for those of you that have never played baseball, when you get hit with a pitch, you have two options. One, you can toss the bat to the side and you can walk to first base. You get a free base. The other option is, when you get hit with a pitch, is you can throw your bat down and charge the pitcher and go fight him. That's, a, that's an option for you if you want to do that. Now, if you're Robin Ventura and you're 26 years old and you're batting against future first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, 46-year-old Nolan Ryan, and you're batting against him, and he throws a pitch at you, and, get, and you get hit by the pitch, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you what I would do. What I would do if I get hit by future Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan, I politely put the bat down, I grab the baseball, and I ask him for him to sign it after the game. <laughs> right? That's what I do. <clears throat> but that's not what Robin Ventura did. Robin Ventura gets hit with a pitch. He pauses. He starts walking towards the mound. And I was watching this back in the day. And as he's walking towards the mound like this, I thought, there is no way on God's green earth this guy is going to charge Nolan Dadgum Ryan. That is not going to happen. But he does. He tosses his bat and takes off running. Now, in the split second before this all occurs... What's going through everybody's brain is, oh my goodness, 26-year-old Rob Ventura is about to kill the old guy. When you're 46, man, your stuff starts falling apart at 40. So 46, it, you're on a decline, and at 26, you're at the height of your physical prowess, man. I mean, 26 is awesome, and, and then everything kind of goes downhill from there. And so you got 26-year-old, height of his career, Height of his physical ability, Rob Mature charging the mound at old guy, 46-year-old. And you're thinking in your brain in that split second, the young guy's going to kill him. But that's not what happened. So Rob Mature <coughs> gets there, takes a swing at Nolan, 
Nolan kind of steps back. 46-year-old Nolan Ryan steps back, gets Robin Ventura in a headlock, and then just starts beating the dog out of him. Just bam, 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 bam. I got a picture. Y'all ready? Let's show it real quick. Here it is. Y'all know Tyler David? He's, he preaches here a lot. He just turned 30. I told him, you ever charge me? That's what I'm going to do to you right there. You try it, old man's going to whip your tail. So you can bring that down. <coughs> but here's the thing. When this moment happened, I, I took my, my, my admiration of him to the next level. I just, I learned, I studied him. I learned all about him. I could have told you at the time exactly how many games he'd played, exactly how many strikeouts he had, how many wins, how many no-hitters. You know, I could have told you anything about him. I knew what his kids' names were. I knew where his ranch was, where he deer hunted. I knew all this stuff about Nolan Ryan. <coughs> I, you know, I, arguably at the time as a, as a young guy, I could have been considered an expert, you know, as far as you could be on Nolan Ryan. Well, a couple of years later, when I was a junior at A&M, I was a part of this organization called the Ross Volunteers. And Ross Volunteers are basically the honor guard for the governor of the state of Texas. And so whenever the governor does some official function, the RVs will go there and they'll do saber arches for him. And I just happened to become an RV my junior year, the year that George W. Bush became governor of the state of Texas. And so they called us and said, we want you to come to Austin and we want you to come do these saber arches at these different events for George W. Bush governor there at the time. And so we would show up at a party and he had five inaugural parties that night, the night of his inauguration. We would show up, we'd get in two lines, we'd, we'd hold the sabers up. You know, George H.W. Butch would come in first, and he, was, he had just, you know, gotten finished being president, I think. At that time, Clinton had, had just beat him, and he was awesome. He'd come in first, and he'd, he'd be like, gig him. You, you, you know, like that, URVs look good. You know, he was awesome. And then, and then Governor Bush would walk in, and then he would go in and dance with his wife, and then we'd leave, and we'd go to the next party, and then we'd get there, and we'd wait, and we'd do the saber arch again. That happened five times. At the end of the night, it was the last party, <coughs> we did the saber arch, um, George W. Bush is dancing with his wife, and then they told us, hey, you can go to the buffet line, and you can go eat and grab some food, and then we're going back to College Station, and so I was, I was going to the buffet line, getting some food, and, um, and I was reaching into this bowl of, like, raw cauliflower or something, which Tyler David pointed out earlier, I should have been using tongs, I was actually using my hands, I apologize, um, but that's what I was doing, and... <clears throat> Another hand was coming in kind of about, about the same time, big hand, and I looked up, and right there beside me was Nolan Ryan. I mean, like right there, face to face. And meeting this guy that was my childhood hero. And you would think that I would say something super brilliant in that moment, but I didn't. And, and he looked at me, and I kind of looked at him, and, and this is what came out of my mouth. I said, you're Nolan Ryan. And he, he looked down at me, and he said, yes, I am. And... Of course, now that I, I kind of botched that, you would think something really brilliant would come out next. You know what I said? I said, you know, you're Nolan Ryan. He said, yes, I am. This is what I said back to him. I said, thank you. <laughs> That's all I got. <clears throat> I was like, thank you for being Nolan Ryan. And he kind of just, kind of just, kind of shook his head and just walked off down the buffet line. But I met him. I met him. I met him face to face. It was awesome. This dude that I was my hero, I met him face to face. But here's the thing I want you to hear. And I realized this years later when I was thinking about this moment where I met face-to-face -face my childhood hero. You know, it hit me in that moment. <clears throat> I knew all about this guy. You could have asked me just about any question that was knowable by the public, I could have told you. 
But the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks years later was that I realized that in the moment, I actually met him face to face. I realized that even though I knew all about him, I didn't know him at all. And he didn't know me. It's entirely possible for you to know all about somebody and not know them. That's what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> Jesus is saying there is this eternal chasm, this eternal distance between knowing about someone and actually knowing them. And I believe with all my heart that there are many of you in this room, most of you in this room could probably walk up on the stage right now, get in this pulpit, and you could tell me all kind of stuff about Jesus. You could tell me where he was born. You could tell me where he grew up. You could tell me his parents' names. You could tell me how old he was when he died. You could tell me uh, the miracles he performed. You could tell me the stuff that he said. You could tell me all about the, the, the facts of Jesus' life. But the question that I want you to get to the bottom of today is even though you know all that stuff about him, are you in a relationship with him? Even though you know all those things about him, if he were to walk in this door and were to walk right up to you and you met him face to face for the first time, would you know him? And would he know you? You see, <coughs> you might ask yourself the question, okay, Matt, <clears throat> That might be me. Like, you know, I, I grew up in church. I can tell you everything there is to know, but I don't know if I've ever taken that step that Jesus said is eternal where I'm actually in a relationship with him. Well, I want you to know the way that you enter into a relationship with Jesus is not by walking out the door and saying, okay, well, I want to go know Jesus better. The way that the scripture says you enter into a relationship with Christ is through faith. It's by grace through faith that you're saved. It's not of your works so that any man should boast. And so what that means is, is that we know that Jesus, uh, because we're sinners and because we've fallen short of God's glory and because our sin separates us from a relationship with our creator, Jesus came, he lived the perfect life. He didn't sin. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And so that when he shed his blood, it made payment for our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death. And so if we put our faith into that, if we trust into Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, then the scripture says we are saved, that we have entered into a relationship with God. That's how you do it. And then what happens, if that's truly happened in your life, then, then that's like your wedding day. <clears throat> that's like the day that Jennifer and I got married. And then the rest of your life with him is this growing, deepening knowledge and love of one another. And so on that day, when you see him face to face, and you will, everybody in this room will. If that's happened to you, salvation, relationship, then in that moment, in that moment, it's not going to be an introduction. It's going to be a reunion. It's going to be a reunion with your best friend and the love of your life. And you're not going to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. You're going to hear, 
the words, enter into the inheritance prepared for you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for any person in this room that maybe for the first time today realize that they know a lot about you, but they don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that there would be an unmistakable calling upon their heart to trust in you and what you did on the cross. They would trust in you as their Lord and their Savior. And that, Father, when that occurs, that, that, Lord, you would fill them with your spirit and that they would step into that relationship with you and that that would be the first day of the day that they walk with you the rest of their lives in a deep, loving, knowing way. And so on that day when they see you face to face, it'll be a glorious reunion. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that would not be a people that just know about you, talk about you, do things for you, but that we would be a people that know you and that you would know us. And I ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.